So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome to Cashflow to Freedom. This episode, I'm absolutely stoked about because one of my very, very close friends agreed to come on and I could not think more of him and his family, what he's accomplished and what he's doing right now. I really look up to him. He's been a wonderful family friend. So I I just, I really couldn't think more. And you guys are going to get so much out of this. And uh, it's pretty amazing what him and his family have, has done. So with that, I'm, I'm going to, we already had the intro, so we're going to jump right into it. We have, of course, Rock, my trusted co-host here. How's it going? And then, Brede, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. An honor to be here, truly. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, man. So just a little background. We have known each other for like a long time and we didn't even know it because our parents went to school together and have been friends since college. And then it they both came back and they were living in the same area. And then we met and moved next to each other years back. And he just, if you know Brady, you know his family because he married way over his head. His wife and kids are just so <laughs> awesome. You're, you got a, you got an awesome family. Man. Thanks to my wife. You're right. You hit the nail <laughs> on the head. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I remember hearing your name growing up and thinking the Osbournes and my dad, who's Ronnie O? I mean, he's got these nicknames for your dad. And I'm like, okay, you know, who is this guy? And then it was, it's been fun to really get to know you this yeah. last decade, I guess, yeah. or so. Yeah. I remember I sold you a car right yes. after you graduated. And yep. that was kind of the first time I got to meet you and your wife together. But yeah, long lost brothers. That's right, man. He's got red beard just like me. So people think we're brothers all the time. So it, it's awesome. And two, with that, said Brady is in the car business. So that's what he does, which is awesome because everybody likes cars. And it's it's a world that, you know, just from you listening, talking to you and stuff, just kind of blows my mind what you guys have been able to do and accomplish in our state. You're the largest, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're thankful to have grown. You know, when we when we started, Boise was 20,000 people and now we're pretty significant, but but we've been able to grow along with the state. And yeah, as far as auto groups that sell, we sell more cars into Idaho than any other dealership or group. So we're That's pretty awesome. thankful. And uh, real quick, you got to tell them when this all started, because that to me <laughs> just blew my mind when you told me that. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I guess there's a couple different starting points, but yeah. the main one is my grandfather's dad. So my great grandfather, World War One, he was drafted and, and uh, he was the guy that would fix the ambulance when they were kind of transitioning from horses to cars and buggy. He was, you know, in the pictures, they have horses and then these ambulance units right next to him. He was the mechanic for the ambulance and he learned how to fix some of the first automobiles, came home, fixed a few up, sold them out of his garage. So that's the start, 1923 in Eastern Idaho. To give you a context. That's a, it, we're almost at a hundred years here, which you guys better throw a huge bash and I better be invited. So, <laughs> uh, but the amount of family businesses in the United States that has survived for a hundred years, that is an accomplishment that there's like, you got to be a handful of people in the entire United States that have ever accomplished something like that. That is so incredible to me. And it's something that I hope that, you know, I hope that my grandkids are involved and can reap the rewards and the efforts and take my empire further. I mean, it's just because it's not just passed down. You guys have 
built this to something. I bet you, you know, your great grandpa couldn't even imagine where you guys are today. Oh my gosh. Every, my grandfather's 91 and he'll come in for an hour a day and, and come talk to me and he brings it up often that he has these dreams where he's with his dad and he gets to drive down, drive, you know, across town and, and show him the stores. And, and, uh, he, he'll talk about it. Like it's happened. Like he's had this dream last night, but I, I he's half making it up, <laughs> yeah. you know, but he just, yeah, he would be blown, absolutely blown away. He would freak out the amount of cars that we have that were flooring with the bank. He would be upset. But then I think when he would realize, realized how many cars were selling, you know, he'd be okay with it, but yeah. it would just blow him away. Absolutely. The figures it would just freak him out, yeah. you know, and then he'd be excited once he saw yeah. that everything was balanced. Everything's okay. Yeah. You know, I but. mean, it's, <laughs> it is, I mean, you're the head of a juggernaut right now. And so tell about your position and, you know, kind of what you're doing currently. Okay. So I'm, so I'm the president of the company and we have 10 franchises and five general managers that manage those 10 franchises. So some have one or, or two, some just one. And then we have 545 employees just had our Christmas party and had over a thousand attendees. You know, they, they bring their spouse and it's just grown a ton. And, and I'm thankful I've been the president now for, it's been a year and a half. Before that, I was general manager at our Chevrolet Cadillac Buick store. And then before that, I was for six or seven years, I was the general manager at our Lexus store. So I have some import experience and some domestic, which applies well. We're pretty well balanced between import and domestic. And I kind of have an, a nice understanding of, of both sides there. And then uh, my dad it has moved across the world to, to try to make a difference and serve and uh, be a missionary. But so he he left the company kind of in my hands. And then my brother is five years younger than me. And he's our general manager at Toyota, which is our probably our flagship store. We move more cars through that store, not by a whole lot, but more than than the other stores. So yeah, yeah so that's kind of the setup. Yeah. But it's been a blast. Yeah. It's, it was daunting a little bit to have 545 people and I don't know all their names, but um, I, I sat there and shook their hands at the Christmas line and, and I got a pretty, pretty decent handle on it. And yeah. that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people to worry about. It's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because we are all, me and me and Rock and Brady are all from this area. And there are a few families, I think everybody knows that have left lasting impacts on the area and families that people know and respect very, very well. And Brady and uh, the Petersons are definitely in the top in our in our area oh, um, they have a very good reputation and everyone you know in the city speaks nothing but good of this huge impact that their business has had on the area thank you boy that's you're too nice i feel the same way about you and your family and your dad and i just look up to to what you guys have done equally so it's hard to receive a compliment like that thank you thank you well, i reciprocate it thank you you know I got a question for, I guess, both of you too, because you guys both have these companies that are massive and you guys have a lot of employees. So what do you think, and you guys are both in your 30s. I don't think some people realize that you guys are young. How do you guys- The beards make us look old. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how do you guys, I guess, how did your dads teach you to kind of take over these businesses or work within them so that you can manage 
500 or 100 employees without being overwhelmed or, or blowing it up. If you don't mind, I'll take it. Well, I actually have a thought in my mind because most of the time it's a blank uh, <laughs> abyss of nothingness. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, my dad, I, I was thankful that he started me in high school. So 1999-ish, that summer, he threw me in as a service porter. And that's the person that when you drive into the service drive, they welcome you and they put plastic on your seat. They drive, park your car and get the keys to the technician to repair your car. So he started me there and, you know, and then we swept the lot up and we, I mean, we were wiping, you know, it's, it's custodial a little bit. And I was thankful to, to have started there and he made me work in every department in the store, which is multiple. So I, I'm, I'm thankful he made me jump through those hoops. There was always an expectation of education in there. And, uh, so I got my degree at a school, a business school that was well-respected. And then, and then beyond that, I was lucky because, you know, the thought of grad school was there. Well, the car business has a school in Virginia and Washington, DC, right, right on the border there. And, uh, oh God, what's it called? Uh, Tyson's corner of Virginia. I would fly into DC, but for a year and a half, I went to this school out there and kind of got a little bit of a, of ongoing education that was specific to auto dealerships. And that was fantastic. So he's given me tools and invested in me in the right way. And uh, God, I just appreciate I spent time putting parts on parts shelves, you know, and fetching them for customers and just cleaning the nastiest cars that we would take in on trade, vacuuming them. So I, I feel like I have an appreciation for almost every role at the dealership. And that just gives me so much more confidence when I'm managing and talking to my uh, managers about how to how to manage their employees. So I'm thankful for that. And I got to do the same thing. It's It's been a, you know, the dealerships we're lucky to have them. It's it's a golden goose and it's it's kind of, you know, we want to keep it going. We want to grow it as our family grows. And we feel like we do a good job employing the people that we employ. We give them good atmospheres that are, we, we try our best, you know, to honesty, transparency. So we feel like growing our business and, and hiring more employees is, is good for the community. We really try to focus on families and the goal is to grow. Yeah. So we take what, what the generation before us has given us and we want to grow and hopefully the economy cooperates and, and there's other factors, of course, but we have a responsibility, I think, to grow it for the next generation and, and kind of pass that golden goose on. But I, you know, I want to add more geese to the flock and I, I want to grow it as much as I can. So that's kind of my, a little bit of my motivation. But did I answer the question yeah, in a roundabout no, way? I think that's really good. I think there's a lot of people that talk about how I would never tell someone to do something that I would never do myself. Fair and enough. That's exactly what you're saying. It's like, yeah. I will sweep the floors. I'll do all the tasks because at a certain point, you need to build that respect within your community, your employees that you do it too. My dad had the foresight. I didn't want to do it yeah. like that. Probably I wouldn't have chosen that, but luckily yeah. he did. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting too, because although my situation was different in different industry and different you know, place, we're not a hundred years old, but it, it's the same process. Like when I was a teenager, my father started their insurance brokerage firm and I grew up in that world. I grew up in a, in this startup phase where we didn't have blinds on our house because it was too expensive. And, you know, this weird world of this idea that the business and the people that are working there, we need to sacrifice for them. And I know that's how, you know, as you, you've just spoken, how you feel. And there, there was, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're so much alike is because of the way that we approach those aspects and the way that it was passed on to us. And it's not even so much, I want to say skill sets that 
necessarily are passed on is it's more of an outlook and almost like a moral standing. And you need to be a leader and you need to serve others, right? And you need to manage, you need to be respectful. And I just see that so much in your father and mine. And when we came up for me, it, we were an insurance, Burke's firms, which meant we got paid on commissions. You know, I had to go out and I had to sell everything like that. And I guess my father had the ability to put me in a position where maybe I didn't do that or something like that. But I never did. I, I never actually earned a salary. I earned a commission off what, what I made. And there's something about doing the crap yeah. that it makes you understand the people they understand. And for me and like you, which I, it, this is, I think, an interesting parallel, you know, you sell cars, you get the commission off the cars, right? And you know, that's where it comes to service oriented. You got to be out making it happen, yeah. right? You got to go out and you got to get that. And for us, when we were in that world, when we were out there, you know, I'm out trying to make it happen every day. It was the sense that if you don't do it, nobody will. Mm -hmm. And that was what was always passed on. So it, it's different than being employed when you own a business. That mindset is set on you that, you no, know, you don't get a salary and worry. Somebody else worries about the problems. That's not how this works. We have to, you know, this idea of this goose, we got to take care of this thing. Because it'll die mm -hmm. if we don't. These all these people, they don't have to worry about this. Yeah. You do. Mm -hmm. You have to think about these things. And those are the things that when you're in a partnership or when you're running businesses or you're in a family business, and I know lots of people are, and, and that's a wonderful way to go. And we'll talk about that. But those are the conversations that are had. Those are the conversations that happen at home. What are the problems? What are the things that we have to take care of? What are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that weigh on your shoulders that nobody else has to think about, right? That And that's something that I, I think is passed on in family businesses. It's like, you need to stand up straight. You got to have a strong spine because we're going to put a lot of weight on your shoulders and yeah. you got to be ready to take it. Yeah. And uh, you don't get this advantage of having a salary and going home. You get upside, but you got to... You got to earn it. Yeah. And a lot of that comes with that responsibility and this idea that you see how the sausage is made, right? Mm -hmm. And you see this back end stuff. And when business is suffering, you walk out with a smile. You tell people it's going to be okay yep. because you're going to take their problems on. Yeah. Um, and I Absolutely. see that so much in how your family operated and how me and my dad, you know, we operated and grew in the businesses. We shared the problems, but it never left us. Employees never know during the great recessions and when you're having problems and they, they don't ever carry that. And that was, I think, a, an important lesson that was taught to me. You, If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a leader, you will carry the weight of others and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. And they look to you. They want to know how to feel. How's things yes. going, boss? How things going? Depends on your physical, <laughs> yes. you know. If you say... Great. But then you're crying, you know, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> things aren't going too well. Oh, go, go, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. oh, God. I'm glad that we, and we barely caught, I mean, we caught the la the great recession, but I'm, I'm glad that we were a part of that because how educational and, yeah. and to know, you know, and, and when things like that happen and eventually it'll happen to us yep. again in some yep. form or another, what an opportunity to to slim slim down and make sure things are healthy and it you know it's scary but but we made it through the last one we can do it again there's confidence yeah. yes in that absolutely as well but you're right you can't you can't necessarily show 
you know, you walk when I walk out onto the showroom, I got to put, I got to get positive. Yep. You know, and and be happy. You're right. You carry a lot of weight, and you got to leave it behind. Sometimes behind those closed doors, but it's an interesting and unique position to be in. Luckily, I have some. We we both have some great people we work with and management that that help us. Yeah. You and know, that's the thing too. I think you learn really quickly. And all entrepreneurs, if you don't learn this, you either fail or you learn it in a really hard way is that, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, is that success doesn't happen on an island. And if you don't surround yourself with fighters, with people that are 10 times smarter than you, then you are you will fail only due to pride. And that is just Absolutely. a shame. That's a shame yeah. to, to, to fail and do that. And I think uh, another thing that your family has just been amazing about is surrounding themselves with good people that have, you know, are, are fighting for you and are incredibly smart, hardworking people that you can rely on. Um, and this comes into an interesting subject as you're talking like when a lot of people, they, they see entrepreneurship, right? They see investing and they see all this stuff. And then they see the big companies like yours. And it's like how there's just this massive chasm that they fill in between the two and you know how to get there and like i tell people you know that getting there just means you're adding on more and more good people to help get you there it's not you and when you think about it like that it's a it's reassuring you're like okay i don't have to be perfect yeah i don't have to know everything Uh i don't have to be the best but if I surround myself with a good enough team, we can achieve it. Absolutely. And the the best, most famous coaches in athletics, it's not one guy doing it. It's the guy that has the best people around him, can recruit the best people and the best offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. And they don't, the coach doesn't know everything. He doesn't know everything about the defense, you know, what play to call exactly. He's got a guy yeah. he can rely on. Same with us. Yeah. It's, it's critical to have good people around us. Well, I mean, you never, I mean, there's no way you could, it would be, you know, not humanly possible, 500, you know, plus employees and all these locations. You put a lot of trust on those people. Yeah. Luckily my dad is, has prepared, you know, and, but it's starting to, he's prepared a lot of these people and a lot of our tenured employees have been with us 30, 35. And, and I think we had somebody hit 40 this last year. So luckily there's a lot of good people there, but we're growing. And so it's, it's a challenge to, you know, to find these good people. And sometimes everybody interviews well, everybody's, you know, putting on a great sales pitch. Sometimes you don't find out for a year or two, you know, if they really are culturally the right fit. So, you know, it takes time, but, but, uh, those people that stick around, boy, I just love having people that are, that are loyal to the company and are tenured and know how I think and, uh, you know, do it the right way. And, and we have some of those and I'm looking for them all the time. Absolutely. So what a, what a critical part of, of a family business. Absolutely. People you can trust like family. Exactly. And you're lucky you have rock and different people. Well, and you know, it's funny too, because along those lines and we get into, you know, kind of the family business. And I was talking with another person that was, had family businesses and they were, they were like, you know what? Why I love my family business is because oh, it was on. I was on our last podcast, and she was saying, and I and I was telling her, and she goes, I never worry that my dad's going to screw me. The gal, the home flipping. Yes, yeah, uh-huh. yes. She's like, I never worry that my dad is going to screw me. And when I was yeah. talking with Ashley about this, she goes, I can just get work done. We can get rid of the games and the yeah. social posturing, and we can just 
focus on a goal. The goals are oriented. Mm -hmm. We're family here. We're trying to achieve the same thing. We can get to work. And how much of a curve that can take out of not only learning, but building and growing because a bad partnership ends everything so quickly and it's just not even worth investing in. And so, and that's hard to know. Right. Because everybody puts on a show and you yeah. kind of have to go through stuff together, mm-hmm. people. And, you know, Rock, we've talked about this, like, you know, partnering with people can be dangerous. And that's why social capital is so important in business, where if you know someone, you trust them, you know, you're aligned in your good work. I'd way rather put all my chips in their corner. Right. I'd way rather double up on those people, even if there's somebody better because you get the time out of it, you can train them and you're on the same, same approach because going the wrong way can be devastating. And that's one of the huge benefits, I think, of family businesses. Absolutely. You know, my brother and I, so we've been kind of, we've been handed this company, I mean, a little bit, we both grew up, work, worked our butts off and studied and, and done, you know, jumped through the hoops that have been required of us. But now at this point, we want, where can we, where can we go from here? And so the entrepreneurial side of that is we're looking at all these vendors that we have and all this money that we're paying out and how can we capture, you know, a lot of that stuff? And what are the most lucrative parts of car dealerships that we're, you know, subletting out that we can maybe bring in-house, but finding the right people to manage it, that is, that's the trickiest part, I think, because we have the ideas in our head, but who can carry it out? Unfortunately, we can't be everywhere all the time. Like you said, we go home and we're laying in our beds thinking about the problems of work where most of our people are get to put that behind them and, and relax a little bit. But finding, I think the right people are those people that are willing to take on a little bit of that burden with you and care about it like you do. And we've had some successes with branching out in the last year and a half that we've been kind of running the show and uh but we're but again we're still looking for more of those people and I and I hope they're out there and we want to share you know we want to share with them that revenue and that ca- those opportunities as well you know if it helps us grow and it's good for us and and them I think there's a happy happy medium there but finding those people is a little bit tricky it is it can be very hard which is I guess it was surprising to me. Maybe I was way too trusting <laughs> at first, but it it is. It's hard to find people that see the world as you do, align values and really are, you know, they're because it's not just it's not just about your mission, it's the mission of the company. And, you know, when you are an entrepreneur, you give your life to that company. I mean, you know, I talk about it a lot that you know, my company gets way more attention of me than my children do. Fair enough. And that's not going to change <laughs> because if I want my kids to have a house over their head and food in their mouth, and I want them to be taken care of like I need to, I got to take care of that goose. Mm-hmm. And with that said, and what that means is my children are the most important things in the world to me. I'm so obsessed with them. And for me to allocate time away from them and uh, the vast majority of it to this, right? I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. And when you find people that waste your time, Mm -hmm. it's the expense at my children that you're wasting my time. (laughs) Boy, Mm -hmm. when you put it like that, yeah, (laughs) boy, that can get me fired up. I have to forget about that sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, you do (laughs) because it's tough. tough. And, uh, but the stakes are high. They are. The stakes are high. They're really high. Mm -hmm. The stakes are, you know, and you know, you talk about it, you're like, this is, you know, we don't have, you, we, we're 30, but we're going to be 60. And I know oh, it feels oh, like our, that. Our kids are going to be gone. They're going to be off living their own lives. Competitors are coming in. The stakes are high. And when, you know, I, 
you know, I grew up in a competitive industry where we knew if I didn't wake up and fight, I would die. And somebody was always taking our lunch. Every moment of every day, I knew every one of my clients was at risk and I got paid off commissions. So if somebody went, took one of my big clients, they, they just simply take it out of my income. Oh my word. Yeah. And it's like, you know, so you wake up and you're going at it and the stakes are what a high. great way to Everything learn. Is hard. Yeah. And so it's like, you got to either get out there and you got to kill or be killed. And that was, um. Yeah, that that was put an urgency mm-hmm. on everything, right? Yeah. And it a heightened sense of I got to do things and I got to do it now. And I think that carried with me even into the real estate business and things yeah. like that, you know. Yeah. But you're right; the stakes are high. You talked about your uh, your brother and you t- like looking to the future, yeah, seeing what you guys uh, can do now that you're in the business and uh-huh. running. I was really curious, as, and I'm sure like there's very few people that I've heard talk about how to grow a car business and especially at the level and the scale that you guys are at when you guys are looking at, obviously you talked about taking in those vendor outlays, but like, how do you like set your goals and say, we have 545 employees or whatever the number is. And this many locations, what are you like, what are you envisioning and what do you, what does your life look like? When yeah. Where do you, where do we go from there? Yeah. Well, you know, it's the franchises are, are really valuable and they command a high dollar amount in the market. And we've, we have offers that come in all the time, people wanting to buy the franchises from us. So those are, are really the most valuable thing that we have. But those opportunities don't come along very often, you know, especially here in our valley. We're what, at almost 750,000 yeah. people yep. in the whole metro area. And, and so the, the franchises, the car franchises that pass hands here are few and far yeah. between. So yeah, we've had to look out and we're always hoping for that type of an opportunity. And we want to be well capitalized and ready financially to be able to jump on those opportunities when they happen. But underneath that level of growth are all these things go. We we do thousands and thousands of transactions with vendors every month. And where we've we've had we've looked at, you know, where are we comfortable taking over some of these responsibilities? Can we do a better job than some of our vendors? And you know, with with some of our marketing stuff with with SEM and SEO, it's it's such a high pace of change. I, I had some expertise there at one point I was our marketing director, but I need help now. So that's not the path that we went down. You know, and then there's some other other venues that didn't quite make sense, but we found through doing things more efficiently that we already do. For example, our detail departments, this is our latest thing that, that we're working on. Our detail departments have detail guys. These are the guys that clean the cars. Uh, when a car's sold, they, they spruce it up for delivery, wash it. What else do they do? When we take in cars on trade, they'll do deep cleans on them to make sure they're ready for the lot to be sold. These are the detail guys. You know, you, you have problems. You got your paints, got get sap on it. They're back there with the chemicals. They have the buffers. They know. So anyways, we have this detail department and each dealership hires these guys. Well, the nature of it in the car business is that there's a lot of wasted time because these guys are usually paid hourly and they're kind of waiting between cars and then you sell a bunch in a row and they're hustling and then they're hanging out you know so they're producing and you need a bunch of them for those busy times but through a little so so what we've done is we've taken those departments and we're doing a thing called flagged hours which is kind of like how a technician works we've assigned values to each job they do and we only pay them when they're doing work so we've been able to capture a lot of a lot of value and we were outsourcing those details to a 
other companies to our direct competitors. We're making money off yeah. of us. So we just, yeah. we've been able to bring it all in house. These guys that we compete with yeah. are not making this money on the back door that nobody really looks at right. with us. And, and, uh, we're starting to see some, some good, yes, yeah, some, some big changes. How do you, and this is, this brings up a really interesting question. When, you have this big of a company, you know, how you talk about these metrics that you look at, right? And how do you judge growth? I mean, outside of just bottom line revenue, because you're talking about like efficiencies, right? And, mm-hmm. and capitalizing on different spreading out. Like, how do you measure all this stuff? Yeah. I oh, mean, y'all, I, you know what? In another life, I was an, I was a bean counter, man. I was an accountant yeah. because I like that stuff and I like looking at our financials. So I, I, I love spreadsheets and I love doing, you know, time comparisons and I love comparing our stores. Luckily we have some brands that are very comparable, Chevy trucks, Ram trucks, Lexus, BMW, Cadillac, the, the luxuries. So, you know, you look, you see what, what some of your stores and there's different management and different, we let our guys have different philosophy and a little bit of that capitalistic approach so that when something does work, we're doing it at our other stores. So we're lucky because of our size that we can take advantage of the group. When something's going well in a department at one store, what the heck are they doing? You know, and, and is that effect, affecting the metrics and can we reproduce it with all nine other brands? So that's been, that's the fun of the job, but there's also a lot of, you know, in the automobile industry, guys out there have created ways to look at your dealership key indicators and, uh, you know, digital dashboards that, that give you an idea. You know, if I really want to, I can pull up dashboards and I can look out in NAMP at our Jeep store. Um, do they have money floating out there that they haven't collected? It's an endless, I can look at endless metrics. The trick is what are the most important ones? Yeah. And we've tried to dial it down we have we're always trying different reports and trying to look at different metrics but we have a general area if something's wrong if flagged red flag in one of these areas we can look into it and and the opposite when something's going real well you know we can identify it pretty quick yeah so it's fun and it's it's not just the the uh you know the normal the balance sheet the income statement the cash flow it's things we've built off those that are unique to the car car industry yeah. so it's fun you yeah. know yeah no <laughs> it makes it fun it trying to find out you know what can we look at that will give us a leg up on our competitor so what i guess this this is a question that I, what's your favorite part of the car business oh man the problem is is that i'm a car guy too i don't know <laughs> i love i'm a rock music guy but i'm a car guy too and i was just born into it you know I, my dad would bring home car and driver maybe that's why I got into it in Motor Trend and he kind of would look at them and then put them in the recycle bin and I'd dig them out and I remember bringing them and arguing with my Cub Scout master about you know metrics on cars like this car can beat this one in a quarter mile and he's like no way dude no way and i bring the magazine in so i've been into cars so i love the cars and the technology and i'm i love i i feel like i'm in disneyland when i go to these meetings with our manufacturers that are national meetings and they bring out the product and i want to learn about you know the new tech and all the performance and and so i'm a sucker for all that so sometimes it's hard for me to get away from that and look at not hard but i'm so 
excited yeah. that the business portion of it is equally important. And, and I'm just a car guy. So I was born into it, luckily. But I think even if I wasn't as into cars as I am, which is also a detriment to my to my bank account, because I like <laughs> to have the cars. Yeah. No, I don't like to just look at them at the store. But I love business and progression. And I love being in a business that has competition. Yes. And we have great competitors. And it just makes it so much fun. I love competing. Yes. I do too. <laughs> so I'm lucky that I love cars. But I, but I think the business part of it would have still propelled me to want to be successful on. Could we ask this question? What's your favorite car? Can, oh, you, can you answer yeah. that? That's, I've, seen, yeah. I've seen the cars. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I'm a best? sucker. Well, I'm pretty excited about the new Corvette, the C8 coming out. Mm -hmm. The mid-engine car should revolutionize supercars as we know them because Corvette is putting this, this mid-engine car together that comparable cars from Ferrari and Lamborghini cost two, three times as much. So I'm really excited about that for the first time ever, the American public is going to have a chance to own a, a supercar yeah. with a, with a mid-engine, which I've driven a very small amount of mid-engine cars. And it's always been on tracks through opportunities, through, through work. So the, you know, the fact that we're going to be seeing these babies on the street and everyone's going to get to experience it. I'm really stoked about that. My all-time favorite car, there's a car that my grandpa wishes he would have bought and kept and it came through the store it, it's called the toyota 2000 gt it was a beautiful car when it came through it's 1970s era right and they put it in the bond film of the day which kind of made it go yeah. nuts and guys now say this could be the most beautiful sports car of you know in recent history and it's this car you've never heard of but it kind of looks ferrari-esque but look it up toyota 2000 gt i saw one a month ago and they wanted a million dollars for it whoa so it's like my grandpa's kicking himself like yeah. if we would have bought that thing yeah. for 20 grand or <laughs> exactly. i don't know what if it, back in the day it would have yeah. cost but i'm curious what's your thoughts on uh electric cars and, t and tesla i was just gonna ask because <laughs> <laughs> all your dealerships uh you don't have any um I mean, obviously Tesla's by itself. So what's your, what's your thought? Yeah, as far as full electric, you know, out of the 10 brands we have, a couple of them have full electric cars. We have the Chevy Bolt and then the BM, is the BMW i3. I can't remember if that's full electric. We have a ton of hybrid, the BMW i8. And then obviously Toyota mm -hmm. is by far the volume leader of, you know, batteries sold in cars in the world. It's not even close, but Tesla being all electric, you know, I really appreciate some of the innovations that he's taken. Quality is another conversation conversation with those cars but but I appreciate that he's he's pushed the envelope a little bit. I'm really close to Toyota in Japan and I've been to Tokyo. I've been to Toyota City. I've met Mr. Toyota which is nuts and I'm wow. Yeah, so and I've shaken it shook his hand and had a tea a tea party with him one time and he was wearing his traditional kimono gowns and you know, we weren't the only ones there but it was a pretty neat deal for a few of the dealers and uh you know, they really banked on hydrogen and they have this Toyota Mirai vehicle and I still, they still think that hydrogen is is the future just because these batteries are so harmful to, yeah. you know, when they're disposed of. And um, got taken out the, the what they need to build the process of getting Yeah, the process as well. Really yeah. Are talking about like the Gigafactory batteries for the Tesla? No, like actually. The actual uh, cars? No, for the, the batteries themselves, the materials that you need to make the batteries, mm -hmm. they get them out of mines mm -hmm. in South America and Africa. Africa. And it is 
bad stuff. Yeah. Like the stuff that batteries are made up of is not, not good. Yeah. No. So there's a little bit of worry there Toyota has, but but at the same time, you know, they're doubling down on their hybrid stuff and they teased a, a truck to us, the new Tundra coming out. And I guess I can talk about it. They, they made us check our phones so we couldn't film it, but they teased. So the the Tesla, the, what is it called? The Cybertruck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It came out. So they teased one to us that performance wise, they acted like it would be something like that, that it will blow away the competition, the half ton competition from, from Chevy and Ford and Dodge. So I think all the manufacturers have trucks coming out that are going to have some pretty unbelievable performance metric gains yeah. and, but good for, good for Tesla to beat them to the punch. They didn't spend a whole lot of time on the looks of it, the design. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Just joking. But no, I'm like, <laughs> it's exciting. Weird. And I've driven the Teslas. And at one point it was like, what the heck is all this? But I'm confident that Akio, Toyota, and even you know our General Motors, BMW, I'm confident that they're on top of it. And uh, I appreciate the progressivism and, and uh, his ingenuity and his, I, I've, I appreciate a lot of the things that he's done. Is that kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, a little bit. I, it's always interesting because you never hear from the from the other end. Yeah, Elon Musk is so vocal, and, and Tesla is so vocal with their stuff. And I yeah. never really hear car dealerships and the, the like the ten brands that you talk about. I never hear the response or what yeah. the thoughts are. Toyota spends. I know it's over a million dollars a day, I want to say. We might have to cut this part out. But over a million a day on research and development, which dwarfs you know most other companies. And they're really, the hybrid, they're really going to introduce a lot of hybrids. Yesterday, I was in a meeting. We talked about the RAV4 plug-in, which is all electric that's coming. But at the same time, they're like, hydrogen is yeah. like, like we how have. does that work? I mean, when you say hydrogen, what is it? I, I, I don't know. Yes, stuff, it's, so. <laughs> what does it's, it mean? It's, it's water, I guess. And I don't know a ton about yeah. it. But um, yeah, it's. It's water and they've built these tanks. They've actually, they had it in the nineties, but it was super dangerous. If you were to get in an accident, highly explosive. So it's the, it's water that they pressurize and, and condense it or something and put it into these tanks that are and it's, fuel. So it's sitting in the car though. Yeah. The oh. tanks in the car. So one of the first questions I asked, I went to, it, it was in Las Vegas and I, I don't know if it was SEMA or what, but they had one of the Mirais there, the hydrogen cars. And I just said, is this thing going to blow up or what? And the, and the person there that they had sent from Japan basically went, uh, explained to me, went through this presentation about how it's safer than a gas engine at this point. So that's been one of their hardest things. The real road block is the network. There's no hydrogen refueling stations. There's a couple oh. in California and then New Jersey has them, but we're just not ready, not yeah. ready for them because, you know, it's water. It's unbelievable. It, really energy running cars off yeah, water. So I mean, are you talking like hose water? Could you just literally stick a hose in your tank? You know what? I'm not really sure. Yeah. I think it's got to be clean. Like, yeah. Pure. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the, the science of it, I don't really, yeah. but it, but essentially it's water and, and we have a lot of that. Well, that's way so better be than more sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Anything else. Cause it just comes out of the car and goes right back. Yeah. And I guess it just drips a little, a little bit of water just drips out the tailpipe kind of a deal. And, <laughs> but, uh, wow, that's amazing. We're a ways from that, but it'll be really interesting to see electric and hydrogen and maybe there'll be a new entrant. Who knows mm -hmm. who's the yeah. next Elon Musk to expose, you know, something that, that we haven't been doing, but the Prius and, uh, you know, some of those cars, they have a lot of experience and they went down that hydrogen path a little bit too early. I think we weren't ready for it, but maybe in the future, it'll end up being a big deal. And if not, um, electric is a lot of fun too. Let's see how we can make that the best it can be. Yeah. But I now, think all, every manufacturer we have will have, yeah, they have 
hybrid stuff and and in fact a lot of them are saying by you know 2025 2030 every car will have an electric component a battery extra battery in it running you know part of the car it's interesting yeah. and, and explain to me on the business model side so i know like every industry technology has come to try to change like you have airbnb in the hotel and for storage we have clutter right for insurance we had not paylocity but insurance no uh, no what is their big name for for the brokerage industry oh, they can't try it, it the owner got in some trouble stuff, but still they're trying to basically eradicate that industry. Really? Um, and they're a billion dollar company. And wow. they, this, you know, seems to be, do you view um, Tesla as one of those or is it like, like a disruptor? Yeah. Is it a disruptor to you or is it? Well, you know what? They lack a few components. The real advantages that we have over Tesla is that they don't have dealerships here and their cars are, are very unreliable. The Model X is the most unreliable car ever produced. I think JD Power came out and said that it has more problems than any other car ever. And when you have these problems, there's a guy that drives around. He can only do so much. We have this advantage where customers can come into our store. We process thousands of, you know, uh, maintenance repair orders is what we call yeah. them. We're fixing thousands of cars every day and you got to get on a list and wait for a guy to drive around. So we have a lot of advantages, you know, things. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that they build the Teslas out of a former Toyota plant that was built in the 1970s. And I'm surprised, you know, he's chosen to build them in the parking lot with tents over them and dust coming in and all kinds of, you know, other manufacturers. If you go to some of our, our plants, you know, you can, you can take a piece of bread and wipe it on the ground and still be fine to eat it, you know? So him doing this out in parking lots and just, I'm surprised he hasn't partnered with a naughty manufacturer in some, in some way. I think, you know, they lose, what is it? I think they lost 800 million this last quarter, Tesla. I think they would be profitable if they would have partnered with somebody and he'd be making a whole lot of money, but he's, you know, he's pridefully he wants to make it work and he, they could be profitable someday. We'll see. But yeah, they lack a few components like that. It's the service. It's the personable, you know, we'll, we'll take, we, we do stuff all the time where we're going kind of above and, and beyond like at our, at our luxury brands. And I don't want to set an expectation, but you know, if a friend calls me and their parents are driving through town on a Sunday, we're closed and they have a problem and, you know, and they are, they're stranded and family and whatever they will try to fix it for them, you know, and that's just something that Tesla could never offer. So service, you know, I think, yeah. I think he, he had some good ideas, but God, if he would have done it with the help of an auto manufacturer and had service points and people that could represent him in service and maybe it would have worked better, but, yeah. and we're still kind of in the middle of it, yeah. but you know, I think well, that it's hard being out, out here, at least for me, cause Tesla, like it, I guess in California, when you go down to California, Lots it's, of weird to say. it's like, oh, this is a car here. It's a toy, right? Fair enough. And two, it's a toy that I could use around the city, but that's about it. I mean, for those of you that don't know, I mean, Boise, we're one of the most isolated metropolitan areas. No, we are the most we isolated are. metropolitan area in the United States. Yeah. Our next city is Portland or Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And you don't hit a city that is 50,000 people for six hours. Yeah. And so if I want to go to the other side of the state, there's like, in some, like if we go from here to, you know, the Sun Valley way to the Eastern Idaho state, you're going to hit two gas stations in five hours. Yeah. And so like, you got to kind of time that right. So mm -hmm. for us out here, it's not even practical. So it's interesting when I go to 
other areas and I see how they utilize the vehicle, I'm like, oh, this is a car to you. Like, that makes this sense. is your yeah. only car, which, mm-hmm. you know, out here, we can't, you know, we don't have, so I don't even hardly know a lot about it. It's so interesting. It's interesting you can't, you can't really do a, a road trip as efficiently. They just did, they have the cannonball run, which is how fast can somebody drive from New York to California? It's across the country as fast as you can go. And they just set a new record. I think it was 26 hours ish. And I think wow. they did it in a, in a BMW high powered. It was something German. I want to say BMW. That's yeah. what we sell. But and like an M5, right? And they had all these radar detectors and, and these goggles, one guy in the back and he's spotting and they, <laughs> they averaged 120 miles per hour Whoa! and they hit 190 at, I think a couple different points, but did they ever get pulled over? You know what? I don't, I'm not sure. I don't I think they, they did. Because uh, 26 hours to go from New York. Yeah. Yeah. To get the record, you can't get pulled over. Yeah, there's no I way think. you could. That's but anyways, cool. to do that in a Tesla would take an yeah. unbelievable oh, yeah. amount oh, of time because yeah. of the recharging. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said something that, that anyone could take away is that you've just constantly focused on customer service. Yeah. Taking care of your customer, no matter what it is. And I think most brands that do a really good job and the people that yes. last, they always focus on their customer. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why Jeff Bezos, he just wasn't profitable. All he cared about was how do I make my customer experience better than anybody, anybody else. else. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually. Yeah. Eventually it took over critical yeah. mass. And I think that's kind of obviously where you guys are at too. That's cool. Because when you think about it, especially here, most people listening probably, if they're not in Boise, you don't know, but there's not very many other reputable dealerships that are going to give you the customers. There's, I mean, maybe two big competitors, but not Fair nothing enough, yeah. the same size as you guys. Like I bought my cars from you guys and- Thank you. It, well, yeah. And it's, I, it's not, it, it was just like Peterson's where you go. Yeah. Cool. Like that's just a good customer service experience. Yeah. And appreciate it. Yeah. I think that's a really good takeaway because anyone, no matter what size your business is, if yeah. you focus on the customer- I mean, to build a brand that lasts a hundred years, you, you're putting your customer a hundred percent at the first. And have a good Cust- product. Yeah. Customers can kill you over night. They just can absolutely, and we see this, and we see this in businesses that were thought that they could literally never go away. You know, I mean, look at Wells Fargo. They were the biggest bank and they were like almost cut in half because of what they were doing with their customers. And I mean, we moved all all our banking from Wells Fargo and we would never use them um, because of what was going on with them and their customers. And like it came out and the public realized you aren't treating your customers first. In fact, you're taking advantage of them behind the scenes. And it was like a mass wave you know, gone from them. We see this in so many industries that it doesn't take a lot to destroy confidence that you've built within a community. And that's one thing for anybody. If you're building a business, you have to understand that that trust between you and your customers is massive. It's fragile. It's massive. And any business is a people business, but particularly yours. Oh my gosh. I I spend a lot of my time, you know, because it's a big industry, a lot of the people we hire have been trained other places. And you guys know there's a stigma with car dealerships. You know, people, they they equate it with going to the dentist. People don't like to do it. So I'm constantly battling and and yeah, you know, people that know me know that I'm, I, I want to offer better customer service, not put people through the ringer like dealerships do. And, you know, the high, high pressure, we want to, we want to make it easy and, and, you know, comfortable for, for our customers. But the problem is we hire people 
trained other places and then we got to re-educate them so god break bad habits yeah we do so longevity with our employees is huge but if we find the right people we can we can retrain them but we're constantly fighting this stigma of car dealerships do you think it played a big role in the recession because you said you you lots of lessons and it was a tough time and i'm sure it is with, with cars with the car business, do you, do you think that played a big role, having the reputation and the uh, just the cr- the credibility, and what other factors played into that? Yeah, you know, people kept their cars a lot longer during that time. Luckily, our service departments are are strong and have a constant flow. You know, repeat customers, and we take care of them. And so, luckily, the service you know bolstered up a little bit and helped us but can't you know overall i think it hurt everybody do you have to cut back a lot yeah yeah we did we had to cut back and and downsize a little bit but um you know we 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 were a pontiac dealer and that went away as a result of of all that and i and i want to say another brand went away oldsmobile which as well we had just come into so that was kind of a bummer but other than that you know i think we came out a lot stronger but you you rely on customer service and you rely on those things during that time otherwise good luck man in a community especially like ours where people you know they need to trust where they where they do business and yeah so luckily that kept us afloat yeah so we're those that you know we focus a lot on financial freedom building yeah something that'll last building the goose right what is your i, I want to pick your brain what cars do you think are the best bang for your buck yeah the most reliable because for a lot of people outside of, everybody loves cars right? uh-huh. they're awesome but for a lot of people and tells you you can get that really cool car your car is a money pit yeah and you know that's why I'm on my I don't know how many how many Tundras have I had with you yeah it's like you looks know, good I, by I, the way exactly I got one from the first Tundra yep. I ever got from you when yep. I got out of college I still have a Tundra I just upgraded yeah <laughs> because yep. the reason why is I'm like my last Tundra I got 140,000 miles on this thing has never been ever once and to me that's what I care about yeah I'm like I don't want to be having a car where I'm putting tons of money in and for a lot of people they're like I want it to work to be reliable. You know, if you were directing somebody that's like, listen, I I have to have a car because you got to have one, but I don't want it to be a money pit. I want to get the best bang for my buck. Where are you sending them? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The good news is for everybody. I know this is a big concern with, with the, you know, and my wife and I think about this as well. For everybody, there's good news is that car manufacturers are getting better and better luckily but you know there's still a gap so i would i would point you towards some third parties i'm i we have 10 brands i'm i'm biased towards them you know but um kbb they they have some good reports look at resale value of your cars and typically you'll see Toyota at the top of them. You mentioned Tundra, but you'll be surprised. You know, if you like a if you like a certain car, and even within brands, sometimes certain cars will just you know be be engineered a little better and they'll last a little longer. So keep an eye. The rankings mm. change a little bit car to car. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of these car manufacturers are collaborating on cars and and uh, which has also helped quality and I guess the engineering in the builds. So they're all getting better. They're getting more reliable. As you've seen, the uh, warranties on them are starting to get to be pretty astronomical and that's partly why it's because yeah. they're just better we've come a long ways there's a youtube video where they take a 57 bel air and they smash it into a 2010 malibu chevy malibu and it's unbelievable the difference you would think that bel air with all that uh metal around yeah. you would just be a beast and protect you but technology is unreal the crumple zones on the malibu the passengers are protected and then in the in the old bel air you know you, you have big cheap pieces of, of metal impaling the dummies and it's crazy we've come a long long way so it's it's 
everything is better, but do your research. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I would invite everybody. The internet basically will tell you, you know, which cars are the most reliable, if that's important to you, other performance metrics. And they'll tell you how much we as dealers pretty much buy them for, you know, the, the, uh, new cars, we all, all the dealers buy them for the same amount and it's pretty dang transparent. Yeah. It really is anymore. Yeah. So interesting. Speaking of this, this market, and this business that you're in, you have these franchises, you're buying the co- uh, cars at cost. Where are you putting your money? So like when you're looking at your books and you're saying, where are we going to get the best bang for our buck in our business? Is that for acquiring other brands, other locations? Is that buying certain more certain types of cars? Like where are you getting your ROI and your capital within your business? You know, a lot of it is we, we do put a lot of our capital back into the business, but yeah. it's it's positioning and, and waiting for, for opportunities. Yeah. As well, our most important asset is our people. I think in the valley, we we pay maybe a, we it's a higher expense to us payroll than maybe other dealerships. Yeah. So that takes a significant portion of of uh, of what we make as well. But the investment is is I think returned to us. You know, in a customer facing business, people is just massively important. So I love putting our money there. Yeah. No, I love it. Yeah. But Hey, you know, we're looking to expand as well. And we've considered some, some opportunities outside of our market, but geographically it's been a strength to have all the stores close. We have our central accounting department here. And if there's a problem at any of the stores, you know, I can be there in 30, 40 minutes at the most, you know? Yeah. So that's been a strength and it's been just because we all want to live here and be with the family and enjoy the blessings of a family business. We haven't expanded outside of our market, but not to say that that isn't in our future. So let's talk about the family business. Yeah. What are the pros and cons and what has made it so your family can keep a business for a hundred years? For those of us that are trying to do and trying to follow your foot steps you know i think we're at a concert and you told me that i was blown away in the middle of the concert i was like wait what a hundred years you know and so <laughs> turn around i was like okay new goal right i'm like that's you know you, you're my new goal that's where i want to want to go and want to get to how, how have you guys accomplished that and what's the strengths and and, and what should people look out for in family businesses god you know the the awesome thing is is that built in you have other people that automatically care and as much as you do and and they're up at night and and you can i think you can build that type of an atmosphere it's rare but uh, you know but with family it's built in you know but there can be partners i think that are that are as dynamic but you care you know it's you just care more yeah. like you said you know people and people want to enjoy sometimes that life where you can put it away and go home and relax. But entrepreneurs don't, they got to balance it different ways. Yep. You know, absolutely. I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. Now it's downsides and what do people need to be prepared for when going into a family business? You know, I'm, I'm thankful to have had examples who, who have done it the right way and worked hard. So we're on our, we are on our fourth generation and my kids are the fifth, but, um, you know, luckily I've had some stalwarts before me. So, you know, if we get a bad, bad egg in there, hopefully it's not me. I wonder if it could bring the whole thing down. I hope that we're, and, and so part of that is setting things up, you know, the right way and putting trust where it's deserved. Yeah, I think I like that. Putting it where it's deserved. Yeah, Not I, I got to jump in because my biggest question is how do you? Te- and I think a lot of people have this question: yeah. How do you prepare your kids for that? And because obviously you have a great example from your dad with you, 
but how do you make those same decisions or what do you add in or take out? Yeah, my kids are, they are who they are. I, I hope the world for them and I hope that their capacity is greater than mine. And, and you know, hands down, I, I think they're going to be better people than my than I am nicer people but as far as on the business side you know I'm, I I just I want to give them all the opportunities try to do it the right way like my dad where they you know have more of a humble beginning and they learn all the they can appreciate all the parts of the business but then you know when it comes down to it it depends on them their capacity and and also, you know, what they want to do if they want to, you know, it's a lot of it's brain damage, but I think it's so far, it's been worth it. I love it. You know, I have the passion. Maybe my kids won't. So, so yeah. it's kind of an open ended, but I want to provide them with the tools just in case, yeah. you know, they want to take it to the next level. And I hope they do. I think it's pretty cool that you're not attached to them being in it. Yeah. Cause I think that's part of it yeah. when forcing, I know, yeah. When you force your kids, it almost like pushes them away. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. I heard doing that, that dealer Academy training in DC, yeah. you hear horror stories of, yeah, guys pushing the family business and yeah. then just having these crazy blowups. Blow yeah. yeah. Yep. People in jail and all kinds of crazy stuff, mm -hmm. cutting corners and they don't really want to do it, but they want the, you know, the income yeah. and they're just making bad decisions and really putting their whole family in, in jeopardy and ruining what they've built for yeah. decades. Yeah. Yeah. So Which is no, there's no reason to, to do that. And that, that makes everybody unhappy. It's like, and I couldn't agree more. They are their own people and they need to follow their own path. And, you know, out it's, it's, you know, me and my dad work together. I don't work with, you know, my other brothers or sisters and it's, that's awesome. My, my brother, chose a course that we would have never imagined he went to the army like that was cool. totally you know yeah. different and he's we're so proud and you know we're you just there was you know you don't want to be in the family business that's fine don't they right? have their own path their own path you know and mm -hmm. if if they're not you know it, they need to be successful in their own right and i i mm -hmm. just i think you're absolutely right cool yeah, as entrepreneurs, we I think we give them the we want it to yes to perpetuate the generations. We give them the opportunity, but you know that's all we can do is give them the opportunities and try to you know bring them up the right way. Yep. that's about it. They're their own people, aren't they? Yeah, uh, yeah, they are. Yeah, and stuff different things interest them, and it'll be fun to see. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, dude, thanks for coming on, man. My I really pleasure. appreciate having you here and seeing your world. Um, it's an insight that a lot of people don't get. Cool. Don't get to see. see cool. So I love great. the podcast. I'm a fan, Thanks, man. So I Thanks. appreciate you having me. Absolutely. All right. And anybody, you know, come to Boise, Peterson car. That's where you got to go. Right, Ask man? for me by name. Yeah. You can, I'll, I'll try to come out and see you, but yeah, sure. Appreciate all. We have some great customers here. I love them. Uh, a lot of them are, are like family that we've, you know, one of them's bought 35 cars. They were telling me the other day from us over wow. the years and we do, we know them. I'd give them a hug yeah. when I saw them and I only know them through the car business. So we have some great, great people here. I love our family based community. And I, I think there's a lot of good places like this, but Boise is pretty special. Yeah, it is. Awesome. Thanks, man. And we hope to have you back again. Thanks, AJ. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.